Maroon on it. Deep back to the point. Look, Joy has shot that deflects wide. Pogliano with a rolling puck behind the goal. Andrew Pogliano works back in front. Sees it there, Benito scores! Nick Benito, the overtime winner! And the Anaheim Ducks win the series! At 2.47 of the first overtime. Very exciting day here at the Sportscasters. S.L. Price is on the show. We've said in his intro the three times he was on that he might be the most accomplished sports writer to ever appear. And I think I'm probably willing to remove might. I think he is clearly an eight-time Best American Sports Writers nominee. or He's yeah, not a nominee because he actually the made book, it in, right, in the yeah. book eight times. Uh, just awards and awards, but... So I was kind of preparing for the interview once I knew for sure it was going to happen, and I figured I would listen back to his second appearance. Two interesting things. One, the first time he was on was probably our greatest of all time episode. The guests that day were Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, all right, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, S.L. Price, Hall of Fame, whatever, Sports Writers Hall of Fame, right. whatever Hall of Fame it is. And uh, the third guy was also a Hall of Famer, who's going to skip my mind. But so anyway, I, I read back to his, his or listened back to his first or second interview, which is one that I kind of consider. Oh, Michael Farber was the third one, who's a hockey writer and the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, I look back and I was listening, and I noticed that the end of it, which I had remembered, I always consider one of our best interviews, was this really long, impromptu conversation about how. He needed to get on Twitter, and he talked about why he wouldn't, and I talked about why he should, and it turned out really great. And I said, you know, it's going to be a quest for us to try to get Verducci, Jane Levy, and yourself on Twitter. And I said, boy, it's going to be kind of sad. Two years after that interview, none of them are on. And then <laughs> yesterday, yesterday I'm going through Twitter, and I see a tweet from Richard Deitch saying, uh, SL Price is in the, 20, the 2014 is on Twitter. Oh, so I emailed him and said, "There's no way it could be a coincidence the day before you're coming on the podcast that <laughs> that you're... you joined, but it was. There was another reason, which he told me off the record. Okay, so but anyway, welcome to uh, season four, episode thirteen of the Sportscasters, April twenty ninth, two thousand fourteen. So cold in my house when I woke up today. I put a sweatshirt on. It's not warm here. No, this has been a garbage uh, win- winter slash spring. I think we're a month behind." Yeah, that might be it. Like, I think this is, like, March weather. Maybe the earth just slowed yeah. down, like, hard. Next month, we'll get April showers, and then the May flowers will be in June. Well, as long as the September and October holds true to that, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I don't know if I want hot weather in September and October, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, great show today. S.L. Price, fourth appearance on the show. Couldn't be more happy about that. Also, we're going to talk NFL draft for the first time. One of the worst things ever was pushing this thing back to May eighth. I read that it might be two of the more sh- one of the more shocking things in my lifetime was the WWE losing a lawsuit to the World Wildlife Federation <laughs> that prevented them from being the WWF, a nonprofit, right? Right, yeah. like that was one of the more shocking things ever. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe right up there with the revelation this week that the NFL may have had to push their draft back because the Rockets were having some kind of show in the uh, Radio City Music Hall. Hmm. 
Like, that just blows my mind. Like, the NFL couldn't bully the Rockets out of taking a night or two off. Yeah, I guess not. Was that last year or that happened this year? That this happened? is this year is the first time. It's, you know, later, two weeks later. Were they at the last draft or something, though? Why do I feel like I've seen the Rockets? I think they're always there because the it's at their place, Oh, they are. You know, okay. So they come out and kick or whatever. Yeah. I got dragged to that once. The Rockets show. Yeah, it was in Buffalo. They solo it? Like, that's it? Like, there wasn't, like, a tree lighting or... No, no, just a Rockettes christmas theme show. What else do they do but other than kick? <laughs> Not much. <laughs> <laughs> Not okay. much. It was brutal. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Was Tammy... Was Mrs. Caster pumped about it? Well, she's still Miss Caster. Slow down. Oh, Miss. Uh, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she loved it. Uh, it came back a few times. She's like, we should go again. And I'm like, yeah. And then it luckily got forgot about or something. Okay. Yeah. So SL Price is on the show, and Chris Burke is on the show. One last thing, book club update. Hopefully the last one for Jonah Carey. I think he's going to be on next week. Uh, let's start with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> All right, in this spot for the foreseeable future, uh, we're going to update the NHL NBA draft kind of, or draft, geez, uh, playoffs, and we'll share it. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to share them all today. We're going to start with this, we'll get to the curmudgeon of the week after that, and then we're going (laughs) to quiz Don at the end. But, uh... Look at they've been great, and that's not hyperbole. Both playoffs have been great. Overtime every day, upsets, long series. I mean, everything you'd want. Emerging stars, uh, declining stars having huge moments in big spots. I mean, in the NHL, let's start with that. The Penguins and Columbus played a great series. Columbus pushed Pittsburgh right to the edge. And I, I got to give credit to Mike, Marc-Andre Fleury, first of all, because I left him for dead after game four. Yeah, I thought, this guy's screwed and the Penguins are screwed. But he picked himself off the mat. And in reality, he had a great series other than the end of game four, which admittedly was a epic disaster. Misplaying the puck Behind in the last yep. 20 seconds to tie the game and then letting in a wrist shot by Nick Foligno from... <laughs> You know, the other end of the yeah, ring. Not exactly Joe Sackick. Yeah, uh, just bad goals. But he was great. So the Penguins advance. The Bruins are very, very good. They're going to be a very hard out. They're, they've advanced. I thought Detroit actually, I mean, I know it was a five-game they, they series. I thought they played him closer than I expected. They did. I'm they were, not sure that shows. I mentioned how I thought Detroit was one of the better coach teams in the league. I'm not sure if that shows how well they were coached or if that bo- exposed Boston a little bit. I mean, it's hard to say that a team was exposed in a five-game series, but uh, I don't know. I, the stuff I would have thought last Tuesday, a lot of that went out the window, which we'll get to in the West with the Sharks and yeah, Kings. Montreal smoked Tampa. Tampa, but Tampa didn't have their goalie. And Tampa played it with this, like, he's day-to-day thing the whole time. And then as soon as it ended, he had surgery. Sure, right. So he was never coming back. So yeah. Tampa was doomed. They weren't going to win with without Bishop. Uh, so that's all four in the East, right? 
Yeah, oh, I mean, no, the Rangers and Flyers are playing oh, yeah, a really the, interesting series. Right, which the one that's still going on. They'll play game six tonight, and if the Flyers win, they'll play game six tomorrow at Madison Square Garden. Or game seven. Did I say that? I don't know. Six tonight, seven tomorrow if the Flyers win. Uh, in the West, the Blackhawks and the Blues played maybe one of the best series in recent memory in the first round. And the Blues won the first two games by scoring in the last minute and then winning in overtime and then ultimately just didn't have enough scoring, I don't think. And Ryan Miller wasn't good enough. He wasn't quite as bad, I think, as people maybe want him to be. People no, are- he let in two or three goals that are almost are on the brutal side. But he also made a breakaway save in overtime of game one. They would have lost the game. Yeah, he was phenomenal at the save. end of game one. Uh, game three, I think it was, their first loss, they didn't score. Right, and, and, and they the only goal have one he goal. let in was bad. It was bad, but the, you need it, to score one. Right, and again, uh, he let a. They didn't score in the last game either, did they? Or was it they one scored goal? One, one. right? Yeah. yeah, you're just not going to win that way anyway. So, I think it was a failure the trade, uh, and I don't think they stick with him. I don't see how they. Can. I think maybe they have a better fate if they trade for Miller and Molson instead of Miller and Ott. Yep. Yeah, I could see that, and people—that's what they needed. Was I mean, Molson that scoring? Molson will be a free agent next year, so will someone like Vanek. And people say rather than maybe a team like that thinking that they were just short a goalie, maybe they were just short a goal scorer. And they were, yeah, they were. Uh, The other series in that division is going to Game Seven. The Sharks won the first three, and the Kings, really the Kings and the Blackhawks, who have won what three of the last four Stanley Cups, showing some championship grit. Yeah, Blackhawks went in four in a row after losing two, and now the Blackhawks, or excuse me, the Kings have forced a game seven on Wednesday by winning three in a row, and the Sharks are melting down. I don't, I, I, it makes me really angry because they're the team I picked to win the cup. It looked really smart three games in, and uh, there's so much turnover in sports that the thought that a team like. I mean, I guess not at the top level for the Sharks, though. The the thought that a team is just going to fail in the playoffs every year because of who they are, like like that the Browns are just going to draft bad because of the Browns or the Bills are going to – that all is, I think, overblown. Coaches change. Things change. But, man, this is what San Jose does every single year. Uh, and this would be the more epic of all their collapses, but they look so good through three games and some of that was helped I suppose by quick not playing all that well but now they can't score any goals it's kind of the same situation in uh St. Louis they they changed the goalie in San Jose but I don't think that's really been the biggest issue there they scored one goal in in a game six they they could have closed the series out in yeah the um uh where else we going here Minnesota Chicago series Minnesota Colorado Colorado uh, great, another great series. Yeah, ad- advanced stats kind of suggest that those are the two weakest teams, maybe in the playoffs, maybe outside of Columbus. But they're playing each other tight. It's they're, it's a fun series to watch. So uh, game seven there, and whoever <laughs> wins the heck gets to go lose to the Blackhawks. Would be my guess. And so. Nathan McKinnon, I mean, it's just been yeah, he's great, unbelievable overtime winner now. Real quick, back in the East. Uh, Crosby has six points, so he's not exactly being shut out, but he hasn't scored yet. Yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. No? No, he's played well. 
Fair. But he could play better, and he will. Fair enough. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that might. I mean, maybe if you're a Penguins fan, you think, hey, we got out of the first round without our best player being our best player. So I think the biggest thing they needed was Malkin to get going, and he did last night. Yeah, with the hat trick. Yeah. So, and then the last series that we haven't talked about Dallas Anaheim, right? Dallas Anaheim, which, uh, <laughs> poor Dallas and the Fighting Lindy's, just an absolutely brutal loss. Uh, up 4-2 to two in their own building in Game 6, thinking about a Game 7 in Anaheim. They let up two goals in the last two minutes and then lose in overtime. And the overtime, I don't know, you might have fell asleep, but I, I did see it, and I think it was seven shots to one, Dallas. And oh, I really? scored on their one trip into the zone, really. It's the first time they got in the zone. Have those all been one-goal games? I'm looking now. One goal. Oh, no, 3 nothing was the Dallas win, 4-2. It's been a really tight series. Yeah, it was a good series. Dallas, nothing to be ashamed of. They're a young team. Lindy Ruff is a great coach. I always said it. I always thought he was a great coach. Do you hear those little rumblings now? I mean, it kind of follows Lindy wherever he goes that he's a little bit maybe too hard on his players, that some of the locker room may not have liked Lindy. Do you think he's going to have to change his approach? or How does that I mean, it, I don't know. Maybe the locker room is saying that, but I can't imagine management isn't pleased with the season they had. Sure. Yeah, I mean, they could have very easily won that series, too. Yeah. So. I yeah. Know. yeah, I was pulling for him. Anything else hockey-wise? Nope, I'm All good right. there. Uh, basketball, also having a great first round. Tons of overtime games. We've always somewhat questioned uh, the NBA's decision to go to best of five to best of seven in the first round. Cause because they're brutal, often very Often squa- very, very many squashes. There's really o- there was really only one. Miami squashed, and I mean squashed, Charlotte for nothing. Ten years from now, we're, we're going to have no chance of remembering who Miami played in the first round of that <laughs> You know what I mean? It was just uh, the, just over from tip. And I'm looking, and everything else, 2-2, two 2-2, to 2-2, two, two to two, yeah, to two, you know, 3-2, to two, which is the number eight seed in the East, has a 3-2 to two lead over the number one seed in the East, Atlanta over Indiana. Indiana looks out of their minds. I don't know what happened to them. We talked about that with Lee Jenkins last week. Uh, Washington has a 3-1 lead over Chicago. So Chicago, who, you know, is a team that was maybe surprised to be where they were, kind of making up for losing Dang and and Rose, but managing to still get the most out of what they have. They might have hit that, that wall, maybe as good as they are. It'll be interesting to see what Washington can do in the next round. But uh, unfortunately for basketball... As great as the playoffs have been so far, that brings us to our number two thing, and that yeah, is... I was gonna say this is where I feel like I can relate to this on a hockey fan's perspective. Hockey seems to make the big news when somebody elbows somebody in the head and sends them off on a stretcher, or someone gets knocked unconscious in a fight, and that's what makes the wrong reasons right. Uh, now, as a guy that doesn't watch basketball. This is the only thing I know that's going on about the playoffs. I kind of hear, hey, the playoffs are really good, but that's totally being overshadowed by yeah. by, by this dummy. And this stinks. Look at I'm going to say two things about it. First thing I'm going to say is this guy, the owner, Donald Sterling, former owner, I don't know, whatever you call him right now, he's a scumbag. Yes. That's one thing, all right? And he was banned today and banned for life, whatever that means, because he still owns it. So right. I, I don't know what banned for life exactly means. I guess they're going to try to force him to sell it. 
and fined $2.5 million, which I think is going to be tough to recover for the NBA because I'm sure he's going to say, you're going to ban me and then want me to write you a tech for $2.5 million? You can take me to court for that. Yeah, I'm sure they will. Uh, and uh, the other thing that there's, well, I guess there's maybe three things. So there's that. This guy sucks. This guy deserves what he got. Second thing is, why is everyone so surprised? Yeah, that's where I'm... I don't... This guy is a known racist. Right. And my thought originally was, they've kind of, from what I've heard, they've released one clip of him asking his girlfriend not to bring uh, black friends or whatever with her to the game. Now, that's bad. That's a bad thing to say. Uh, It shows you're a racist. It's super insensitive considering she herself is half black. Right. And uh, black and, I believe, Mexican. So she's two minorities, and he's being really insensitive there. But my thought is there's got to be a lot more to this. And and from what I understand is this doesn't surprise anybody. It shouldn't. He has a history of racism. Right. He's he's an 80-year-old billionaire bigot. Right. But, I mean, that's why it's got to be more than just that. Can you really find someone $2.5 million for suggesting to his girlfriend that she not bring black people to a game? I mean, it's it's a horrible PC move uh, or a PR move. Uh, it's super rude. It's racist. It's insensitive. It's all that stuff. But, I mean, Michael Vick killed a bunch of dogs. <laughs> and he's back in the league after serving his jail time. This guy didn't even do anything necessarily illegal. He's kind of like... Well, yeah, he's not going to go to jail for he's this. He's like the Chick-fil-A owner. He's not going to go to jail for this, but by the way, she might. Because that's the third part of this, is that he was clearly set up. If you listen to the tape, that's a very scripted conversation Sure, that was recorded illegally in the state of California. Wow. That's not allowed. So... Like, this decision is sort of the death of privacy in a way, too. Well, I mean, if there's any doubt that, that she's af- with him for money, I mean... She's uh, already sued him. Right, apparently. so so that's... That, or he sued her, one of them. I, I think uh, he sued her for uh, embezzlement. I was I was eating lunch uh, yesterday with a girl I work with who who's black, and she, we were talking about this. And she gave a point of view of it that I, I wouldn't have thought of, but she was kind of mad at the girl, too. She's like, what a sellout you are. Like, you know this guy is a racist. You're black, and you're living with him, and you're okay with it because he bought you a couple cars or whatever. And it's like, that. and now you said that she might go to jail. Or she well, I don't know arrested. if it's jail time, right, right, but, but I mean, she illegally recorded this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, it's a pretty terrible story all around. I don't blame the i i don't understand why why if you are this way there are people this way like i said was it a chick-fil-a it was a different religious thing i think it had to do with gays in their store or something like that or uh hobby lobby like people have different views of different things that not everyone agrees with if your view happens to be you don't like black people wouldn't the nba be the place you would be the (laughs) furthest away from like what what is this guy thinking this isn't a popular... All right, so there's a story in Buffalo right now. There's a Catholic high school, a Catholic high school, okay. private Catholic high school, that refused to print an, a marriage announcement in their alumni magazine of a same-sex marriage. 
Okay. And everyone is outraged and right, right. mad at this place. Sure. Isn't it sort of okay for the religion who is against gay marriage yeah, my thought to is... not – I mean, why? what are they doing wrong? I Yeah, I don't have necessarily – I don't. I never have. I mean, I, mean, I hate to defend them. No, because, no, no, right. I mean, I I'm completely for gay marriage. I think the quicker we legalize it and move on to other things, the better it's going to be for the entire country. I, I think the issue, or the where where I stand on any of that type of thing, is people are going to have different beliefs with me, and they're they they're allowed to have those beliefs, and I'm fine with those beliefs as long as they don't hurt anybody. Like people, uh, Hobby Lobby is owned by a Catholic. Right. They close group. on. They Sundays. close on Sundays. They want to make it illegal to have birth control. I mean, their employees to have birth control. Now, it's one thing for you to be closed on Sundays because of your beliefs. Yeah, that's, now you're that's, affecting going, the that's be- going too far. Right, that's yeah. too far. Yeah, Printing something, not wanting to print something in the alumni magazine? Yeah, that's that to me is... that's. The op like the opposite end of freedom of speech. Like that's that's an aspect of freedom of speech. They don't have to say that if they don't want to. So I I'm okay with them not doing it. It's a private institution. I don't have to. I don't have to agree with it's it. It's their publication. But I'm okay with it. And that's kind of a little bit. I, I this Sterling has to be a bigger problem than just asking his girlfriend not to bring people to games, to bring black people to games. Well, he's, it's been a bigot for 30 years. Right. And that's why I'm... And the problem is all his employees. Is the difference this time it happened to maybe in a slow news cycle and TMZ was the one who released it? So it was maybe more than a sports story. It was a pop culture thing that transcended sports. Yeah, I, I, don't, I mean, the difference between this and the church, I think, is... I believe the number I heard is something like 70% of the NBA is black. So you're talking employees of this guy that are black. I mean, what do you do if you're the employees? I don't know. I, I think clearly it affected them in the last game. Yeah, they were terrible. They, uh, they got smoked. Right. I mean, I know they did their silent protest. Which during- was great. Sure. Great. Great job. I, I don't know what you do if you're them because losing. I mean, I don't I don't know how veteran Does that team is. Did they like- change it? Does what happens sure. today? Yeah, why not? I mean, if although he's still cashing the checks when people go into that stadium. As a fan, if you want to show your support, I guess you cannot go. But then you're eating money. And why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what would... What are they going to do? Like someone, I think it was uh, Rome or someone today, was saying they're going to force this guy to sell his team and hand him a billion-dollar check. Uh, bummer. You know what I mean? Like... I don't know what you can do to this guy. I'd say F this guy. If I'm in that locker room, F him. He's going to be dead soon. Do you know, the uh, do the let's uh, this major league thing. Let's Wouldn't win this championship him. for ourselves. And the further we go, the longer this story is going to be out there, the longer we're going to expose him for what he is, the more we're going to be able to... You know, winning it right now would be the biggest F you to this guy because he's owned a team. They've won nothing uh, to this point. Go you're, out and win it when he's not allowed right. in the stadium. You're gone, and the yeah. commissioner is going to hand the trophy over to someone else. Yep, not you. But yeah, it's it's as someone that's not a basketball fan, I'm sympathetic to basketball fans because I know they're a more major sport than hockey. But still, you you want your sport to be in there because the first round, like you said, which is normally garbage, been has been really really good, and instead the news is about some jerk racist so 
not good. Hopefully, basketball can distance itself from him with this with this move. All right, last thing. So, Donnie. Yeah. You are going to try to guess in the last – basically, it's a year. It's a date. It's like February of 2013 okay. to now. The top 10 selling National Football League jerseys. Now, I'm going to give you some clues. Okay, so there's seven quarterbacks, and football has not been played. They're talking about in this time. No, okay, you're saying okay, February to now, ish. No, February after the two Super Bowls ago to now. Oh, okay. So, gotcha. So the last, okay, right from last the last calendar. off season to now, calendar okay. year. If I said the dates wrong, maybe. But there's seven quarterbacks, two running backs. And about one defensive player? safety. Okay, there's three Super Bowl champions, one Super Bowl runner-up, two guys who didn't make the playoffs, and three guys who did. <laughs> okay, so Peyton Manning's got to be one of them. Peyton Manning is number two. Uh, Tom Brady is number four. Uh, let's go through all the quarterbacks. Um, RG three, not on it. Really, was last year real yeah, high. Busted too. out real quick there. Yeah. Um, uh, Drew Brees, number seven. Um, Colin Kaepernick, number three. Now you've named two quarterbacks whose arch rivals. Oh, Russell Wilson, number one. He's number one, huh? Yep. Good for him. Um, who have I missed from the quarterbacks? You missed Peyton Manning's arch rival. Uh, th- that's not Tom Brady. <laughs> it is. You, oh, you said him. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, he said he was like number. Oh yeah, four. he's number four. Yeah. So right now you have Wilson, Manning, Brady. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Yep, he's number nine. Did I get all the quarterbacks now? Let's see. You said uh, no, one more. Quarterback. Oh, uh, number, uh, Cam Newton. Nope, number ten. Cam he, Newton's not on there. No, huh? wow. similar colors to t- Cam Newton, and a very very average quarterback at this point. Similar colors. Um, so turquoise. Uh, Bill's rival. Tannehill. Yes. Really. Number ten. Why? No idea. <laughs> and then the running backs have got to be Adrian. Yep. And now hold on. The last you're missing the other two Super Bowl champions: a running back and a defensive player. And the defensive player is a safety. He, he uh no he might be a corner corner or safety he's a Sherman corner. Sherman okay corner and they're running back oh Marshawn yep hmm so number one Wilson number two Manning number three Kaepernick number four Brady number five Lynch number six Sherman number seven Breeze number eight AD number nine Aaron Rodgers and number ten the strange one yeah it's right Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill. that's according to NFL. Dot com. Wow. Okay, right. So people could buy them elsewhere, I suppose. Yes, but or I don't know exactly what they're if they're saying only on. NFL. I'm sure that's com, a pretty or, accurate representation, right. of a whole. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that they're all quarterbacks, but Tannehill, huh? I want to say Luck and RG three because we do this pretty much every year. Oh, right. RG three is the one that shocked me. It wasn't. Yeah. There. Ryan Tannehill outselling RG three. 
Yeah. Is he hated in Washington because of his I don't know, maybe just bad the season? Thing. Yeah, that's weird. All right, we're going to take a break, and uh, let's get to this. Let's uh, get Scott or S.L. Price back on the show. I always call him Scott because that's his name, but oh. he, his, he goes by S.L. Price. Price. So yep. let's get him back on. Our next guest is from Stamford, Connecticut, and is a graduate of the University of North Carolina. As a student at North Carolina, he covered the 1983 Tar Heels team that featured Michael Jordan. In 1994, he joined Sports Illustrated, where today he is a senior writer. He has received multiple honors for his journalism, including two Associated Press Sports Editors Awards, two National Headliners Awards, and awards from the National Association of Black Journalists and the Women's Sports Foundation. He has offered several books, including... The book, Pitching Around Fidel, which has recently been reissued in paperback. He's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very great S.L. Price. How are you doing today, Mr. Price? I'm great. How are you doing? Really good. Excited to have you back. It's been a bit. Not as much as I thought. For some reason, I kind of just forgot that you were on the season three first out, which means nothing to you, but I had thought that the last time you were on when we had this kind of infamous in our podcast conversation about Twitter, I thought that was the last time, but there was one time in between there. So I, I'm the uh, Alec Baldwin or Steve Martin. I've been on, you know, I'm, I'm on the nine timers club or something like that. Well, so do you want to guess how many times Lee Jenkins has been on? He's our leader. I would guess that Lee Jenkins, uh, with the NBA, and as great as Lee is at right. what he does, that, that he's been on a solid 10 times. 17. 17. <laughs> That's great. He's a good man. Yeah, he is the best. He really is the best. Uh, so you wrote a column yesterday about one of your colleagues, who is arguably the greatest long-form columnist of all time in sports, uh, retiring. And I wanted to ask you about when when someone says to you, okay, you need to write essentially a career eulogy, maybe is the, the way to put it. I mean, he's not dead, obviously. He's just retiring. So that's why I put the the word career in front of it. But, w- okay, first of all, is is it like when, when they ask you to do that, is it like, oh, man, I don't know if I can do it justice. Or is it like, oh, that's so cool. They asked me to do it. I can't wait to write the right words to properly put this in perspective. And then when you actually did it, was it more or less challenging than you thought? Uh, no, it was, it was, I don't want to say easy cause writing's never easy, but, um, you know, writing, I mean, and again, you have to, you have to realize that Gary Smith is someone whom I've lived with for the last 35 years of my life. Uh, he's been in my, in my head, um, like, like so many other, Sports writers aspiring and existing. I mean, you know, when I I, I recently wrote a piece about Richard Ben Kramer uh, for the magazine, and right. um, and his, part of it was his struggles with A Rod. But it was really a, a lot was about him. And look, the fact is, is Richard Ben Kramer and Gary were massive influences on me as a young writer and, and continuing. I mean, the, the influence never dies, basically. It's still there, and you're wrestling with it, and you, you take pieces of it, and you reject some of it, and you, you accept it or, or change it or refine it, whatever. But the fact is, when you're a young writer, you're reading, you're vacuuming up everything. And Gary is one of those writers where you'd read him and you'd say, good God, there's just no... Well, how the hell did he do that? How, how, how does one do what he just did? I don't understand... And not only that, but he, he would rev your engines because you thought, 
this form is that I'm trying to somehow become just proficient at, much less master, is capable of 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 going to that level. And not only is is a writer capable of taking it there, but there are editors who want to see you get there. And so, I guess what I'm saying is when you you know let's face it, when, when you're writing about something that you know in your bones, that you've been feeling for, that you've been marinating for 35 years, in some ways it's far easier than, you know, writing about a subject you, you have to parachute into, which is what I often do. So I don't want to say it was easy, but it certainly was, I didn't have a, I was ready to go. <laughs> I, I, I've been waiting 35 years to write that piece. Here's, this might be an impossible question for you to answer, or one that you maybe even wouldn't want to, but when he does retire and he's no longer with the magazine, the natural progression is you're the top guy in that type of writing for the magazine now. No, I don't. I don't think that's true. Who, I mean, I, I, I don't think. I mean, I, I just don't. I don't look at it as. <laughs> I've never looked at myself as the top guy in any in, in, in any part I've been. I mean, Sports Illustrated is incredibly stocked, um, stable. Uh, with people who do ex- astonishing things, and and by the way, Lee is Lee is one of them. You know, I mean, yeah, so Lee's incredible, it, but he's a beat guy, right? I mean, you, yeah, but Lee Lee's a beat guy, like you know, like you know, <laughs> like like Monet was a house painter. I mean, you know, I mean, Lee Lee's not writing, you know, game stories. I mean, Lee's writing incredible stuff. So so, I mean, and that's and 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 Nor is I know mean, he does he focuses solely on on. Uh, on the NBA, but you know, <laughs> some people, some painters just do water lilies, but they're unbelievable. I mean, and, and so, so, I mean, the point is, is that, is that, yeah, I, I'm one of the, the guys there who does a lot of long form stuff, but, but really I do a lot of different stuff. I mean, I do long form, I do short stuff. I do, you know, I do essays. I do. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot of great people there and, and not only that, but there are a lot of great people in this business and, and I'm, I'm just trying to keep my head above water. One thing we talked about either last time or the time before that that you were on was kind of how everything was changing. We talked a little bit about reading the magazine on the iPad and the things that Sports Illustrated would need to change or adapt to. And since we've talked last time, there's new leadership. A good friend of the show, uh, John Wertheim, is one of the main guys there. And, and I know he's got a partner whose name always escapes me. Uh, Chris Stone. Okay. And uh, I just wonder... We talked to Chris Ballard a couple of weeks ago who had a really incredible piece in the SI Long Form, the official SI Long Form project, if that's what you'd call it. I'm not sure. Venture? I don't know. Uh, but I'm just wondering, since we talked last, how you think the progress is, the adaptation from going to a print magazine to being a magazine that needs to spread itself out across different mediums like uh, on the internet and there was also a TV show on uh, uh, NBC Sports Networks, all kind of different things. Right. Where, where do you think uh, the magazine is under the new leadership, and, and, and what, have, what have you liked, maybe what have you didn't like? What's your assessment since we talked last? Well, I mean, in some ways I'm the least qualified to judge because I'm, like, standing right next to the engine, uh, in the engine room and the, and the you know, the furnace door is open and the flames are coming out and I'm, and I've got a, a helmet on, you know, and a acetylene torch in my hand. I'm, I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm toiling away and trying to do the best work I can. Uh, and so I will tell you that I think Stone and Wertheimer are, are, I think they're about all the right things and about 
what the DNA of the magazine is. And, there, you know, there's, there's been a transition. We're doing far less events than we used to do as a magazine. Now, I'm talking only as the, as the uh, sort of print and an iPad version of the magazine. Um, we're doing less events than we've ever done. They want, to do, they want more bonuses, more long-form, which is terrific, which is, you know, obviously uh, they want the depth and perspective that Sports Illustrated is known for. Whether, whether how it's playing out in the world of television slash the web and, you know, the digital play that every single media company is trying to figure out and still hasn't, um, I have no idea. I mean, I, I just don't know. And um, I'd be lying if I sort of started spieling off things and saying, hey, yeah, oh, you know, we're doing this, that, and that, and this platform, X platform. I know they're hustling. And, you know, the fact is, is that we're in the midst of a, a spinoff transition where, where Time Inc. and its Bank of Magazine is going to be spun off from Time Warner uh, with a load of debt. And so, uh, you know, there's a, there's a great imperative to get this right uh, in full view of the public and uh, as we're spinning off into being a public and independent entity. So um, uh, it's, uh, in some ways, the market's going to tell us, right, in the next six months or so how we're doing, year or so, or whatever, uh, whether that's happening. And, and if someone were to come to me for advice on, on that kind of thing uh, uh, <laughs> with money in hand, um, I, w- I would tell them to quickly go in the other direction because I'd be the wrong person to come to. So I think the market and analysts are going to be able to tell you better about how we're doing. And, and I would throw it right back at you because I, I actually think you're a better judge than I am. How do you think we're doing? Well, I think the long-form thing has been a great success Sort of surprisingly, I think maybe to everyone that just the idea of long form on the internet has really caught on. I think in the last couple of years, just people get excited about things like that. I think, and I've always said that SI is one of the is just born for to be on the iPad. Just the way somebody said, I don't know if it was you, maybe another writer, that one of the things that they were always told at SI is that it's called Sports Illustrated. And I think yeah. the illustrations of well, the- well, just so, just know that the photographers used to say that. Just, okay. I mean, yeah, that was me. And the and, it, and it's the photographers who would who would, you know, they would. There was always sort of a yin and yang because because you know, and the photographers are like, it's not called sports writing. It's called Sports Illustrated. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, it was said with tongue in cheek and and the natural competition between writers and photographers. So yeah, I agree. I think on on the iPad, the photographs bang in a in a, in, a, in a way that they can imprint. So and there's more of them. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, I just don't know. I, 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 and again, this is, this is, I can sit here and wave the flag for long form all I want, uh, for obvious self, uh, you know, <laughs> preservation like reasons. But I, I have no idea if people are reading, except, except for writers, you know, except for the, the cadre of, of people who love long form and like talking about it. I don't know if people under 30 are reading long form, not only uh, on the web or at all. I don't know if they still want 12-page stories as opposed to, and that, that's, that's the real question for reading going forward, whether it's just, you know what, because I, I hear over and over, I, I just don't have the patience anymore. I just, I, I just, I don't know, there's something, I can't really, and you know, of course a great story will grab people, and, and that's always going to be the way, because that's, that's part of the human condition. But um, in terms of reading it, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm curious as to whether our, uh, Twitter fractured, you know, whatever world uh, where everything is cut up in bites, and the biggest thing that that at least that I'm understanding that that really gets hits on on the web is not long form, but it's like photo essays and lists. 
uh, because they're quick and digestible and bang, bang, and you can also do them, read them quickly on mobile. Um, you know, whether they're, you know, people under the age of 30 really want to read long form in mass in a way that a generation of, of more, you know, five, six, seven generations did want to sit down and read Gary Smith-like stories, uh, you know, for, you know, three or four times a week. And I, I don't know if that exists. And, and like I said, I think you'd be better position to tell me than, than vice versa. Well, other than just my opinion, the one there's two kind of pieces of proof I can offer. And one is, is we recently had Chris Ballard on who had just written a piece on the SI long form about a D3 basketball team that is, I'm sure you read it, D3 basketball team his brother played on and their losing streak. And right. that... I don't remember who else was on that day. Maybe Jeff Perlman talking about Showtime. That kind of feels like that was the one. But mm-hmm. that was one of our most downloaded ones in a while mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Got a huge response on downloads and on Twitter. Lots of retweets and uh, favorites and things like that. And then the other thing is is that you know Richard Deitch and I sort of had this small but – kind of long in a 24-hour news cycle type of, I don't know if I want to say fame or infamy on Twitter with our picture thing. So, And that's the most I heard the word Sports Illustrated on places like we were on E, we were on... I'm sorry, what do you mean your picture thing? Uh, this... uh, I had made, I don't, I don't know, maybe, I, I guess cause yeah. I just assumed everyone knew about this, but I had made a picture. A... You, everyone knew what the picture thing? I made it. A... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm great. It's, I'm... It's, it's around the world. Right, yeah. of course. They're talking about it in London. Right. I, so, I, please I, explain. I had made a tweet, uh, uh-huh. just uh, an innocuous tweet. Uh, my brother had just won the national championship at Yale. And, so your, uh, great, your greatest moment, that thing. Yes, the greatest moment yeah. thing. I should, yeah, no, I should no I'm aware that of that, way. but okay. doesn't that sort of I'm sorry. isn't that sort of contrary to long form? This is just hey. I guess I was moment. just saying uh, a new media things. I guess yeah. I was being a little bit more general. I, I gave it a long form example and then another example. Oh, I see. Okay. Things outside of the magazine itself that have right been a success. I guess so. Those two things. No, I'm just I'm just saying like like it's just. So who knows? I mean, it, it's it's uh, in 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 a perfect world, there's room for all of it. I I I um, I just I mean, I'm in some ways I'm I'm not uh, I'm not qualified to judge it. You know, it's like I'm, I, I'm like I said, I'm in the engine room. I wonder about you when how you react. <laughs> you to and me, you and me both. <laughs> I wonder about how you react to uh, to things that for lack of a better sports stories that go viral and like for example there's a great example right now the the donald sterling racism clippers thing when something like this happens what is your reaction to it is it okay your natural reaction like we all have there's that like oh what a jerk like oh the NBA needs to do that and then is there wow uh Ballard and Jenkins and the basketball guys, they got their work cut out for them on that one? Or is it, hmm, I wonder if there's something for me in that and, and where could I get on it? Like When these big things happen in the sports world, what's your process in terms of, in terms of reacting to them the way that you write and work? Or is it, I can't worry about those things. I have my sights focused on my Scrabble story of the year and, and I just need to keep working on that. Well, I mean, part of it is, yeah, I mean, part of it is uh, uh, 
you're focusing on what you're doing. You're in the middle of an assignment. I mean, I, I, I wasn't hyper-focused on Donald Sterling, although it's, 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 it's possible to ignore, uh, uh, because I was working on the Gary Smith piece. So I'm, I'm focusing on that to a certain degree. Um, I'm focusing on other things. On the other hand, it's a fantastic story. And what I mean is it's, you know, it's got all the elements. It's got wealth. It's got race. It's got the weirdness of a man with a wife and a girlfriend who's clearly a lot younger than him and this bizarre conversation, and it's got legal issues. I mean, it's got everything. It's a fantastic story. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, as a, as a piece in which to dive. Um, and so, uh, and it's going to travel. I mean, we're talking about a possible boycott. We're talking about the idea simply that uh, for the longest time since Michael Jordan and beyond, people think, well, you know, African-American athletes are, are making too much money. They're, they're worried about, you know, selling shoes, and, and so they're not going to rock the boat. Well, all of a sudden we're seeing the contrary. We're seeing uh, when it really hits home, we're seeing African-American athletes protesting and, and talking about boycotting. And, you know, that's, that's so, being socially aware in a way that probably they, uh, they were unfairly not given enough credit for in the, in the recent past. So that's, a, you know, when you have a story that has that, all those different elements, it's an incredibly rich story. Now, Lee's out in L.A., so I'm assuming Lee's all over it, you know. And so, um, you know, and, and we're going to be all over it, you know, like everybody else. Um, I will say that, I mean, my feeling is always that uh, – it's very easy, and I'm a human, so of course, when I first heard Donald Sterling in the recording, uh, my first thought is, oh, you know, guy's an idiot. That's essentially how you start. But I, the fact is, is I, I know that, you know, uh, almost every story, especially every interesting story, is full of far more gray than we think. And I'm not saying that Donald Sterling is or isn't racist. I'm saying that the story is complicated, which makes it even more fascinating. And I, and I would wager that it's going to become more complicated and less clear, and that's always intriguing. So, so um, I'm not, I've got other fish to fry right now, so I'm not, my, my hand isn't up, and I know that, and I know that um, we're well positioned with who we have working it, uh, but... Um, it's it's more, it feels to me more like a story that uh, I we're in six months someone and it might might be me and you know that'd be fine but it might be somebody else is going to actually take it apart and, in in depth and we're going to learn a lot more than we know right now. Is there another example of a story that popped up and kind of made you say, "All right, I need to pause on what I'm doing now and kind of look into that"? Um. I mean, it happens quite a bit. I mean, there are things that happen that, that I mean, you know, Duke lacrosse was one of them. I okay. mean, you know, I mean, I ended up going down there uh, during that entire story. And that, of course, that story was topsy-turvy for all the reasons that we don't need to get into. But, um, and fascinating for the same reason. I mean, there are times when you, you jump on the news. Um, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a different, uh, it's not like I'm a, a free agent uh who just decides, I mean, I, I work for a news organization and, and, and they've got resources and, and people situated. So there are times when I would be called to do that sort of thing and I'm ready to go. And, and there are times when, uh, you know, someone else is rightfully doing it. And, and so it's, it's not like I'm just, you know, in the basement, uh, you know, 
dialing up the editors every day and saying, you got to put me on this because mm-hmm. that would be, you know, <laughs> I would be uh, ridiculous in some ways. But on the other hand, there are certainly stories that, that have come up and I think it's a great story and they think it, they'd want me to be part of it and, and I'm, I'm happy to go where I'm told. Your last, I, I reached out to you and we couldn't make it work, but I still wanted to go back to it at least for a second and ask you about the Richard Van Kramer piece with A-Rod. And I'm just curious about process real quick, and then I want to ask you a little bit more about it. But was that a story that I, – in your bio it says I think he's the first name, if not the second name, of yeah. authors that who have influenced you. No question, yeah. Yeah, actually he's the third, just but whatever, near the top yeah. of authors that you list who has influenced you. And I'm sure – uh, having a chance to write about him is something that you've always wanted to do. Was that? Oh, a- no, not, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, okay. Not necessarily. In some ways, I, 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 when it's somebody who I admire, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to get too close because I don't. I don't want to know too much. I, I'd actually just like to like to deal with the work. So, so, so not necessarily. So, did that piece come about as a reaction to the news of A Rod, or did that piece come about separately to the specifics of what was happening with A Rod? The way it came about was that I ended. I did an A Rod story a year ago when A Rod was in the minor leagues, and while I was reporting that story, he was in Scranton, I believe. And um, uh, while I was reporting that story, I spoke to his high school coach, and his and I had his high school coach said to me, "Ah, oh, yeah, you know, you know, it would be great to talk to about A Rod. Was Richard Kramer? Richard Kramer came down here, and he was here for." We, we we were together. He was reporting. He talked to everybody. He knew more about A-Rod than anybody. Uh, but he's dead. And of course, I knew that Richard Ben Kramer was had died. Um, and I, to tell you the truth, for some reason, had you know, I, I I had forgotten for that moment that when I was writing the A-Rod story, that Richard Ben Kramer had been working on a book about A-Rod. It just wasn't in my head at that moment. And I remembered thinking, I, you know, when I first heard the news that Richard had signed a a contract writer about A-Rod, it's like, why would Richard Ben Kramer want to write about A-Rod? It's like a, someone, you know, sending a howitzer after a flea. Like, I, you know, I just, I, I just didn't, never thought there was enough there for, for, Richard, for Richard's talents. I thought A-Rod was sort of, it just, he, he, I'd like to see him go after bigger game. And, of course, this was, that was at the time when pre-steroids, you know, this is, this is just A-Rod being a sort of frivolous and rich man, and that was it. So, of course, when the steroids came in, it actually became more interesting. But I remember at the time. And so I forgot about it because I was doing my A-Rod story, and, and, and I uh, had other things to do, and I was on deadline and so on and so forth. And, and then I, I was at the U.S. Open, and it's uh, tennis, and it sort of st- just hit me one day. I was like, well, there's got to be – he worked on it for four years or some, some ridiculous amount of time. There's got to be something. There's got to be some paper. We, we as Sports Illustrated should try and get that and, and, and publish, because this was after the, you know, when A-Rod's entire punishment was coming down. Everybody's way. We, we, should, we should run an excerpt. Richard Ben Kramer on, on A-Rod. Even if it's three pages, it's got to be interesting. It's got to, you know, if he was working on it. And um, uh, told that to my editor, uh, John Wertheim, and John, uh, I said, you know, you, you, you're up in New York in publishing circles. Maybe you know, if, maybe you can find out if, if, you know, if there's any kind of, vestige of A-Rod, you know, of work somewhere. And he spoke to somebody and they told him, no, no, there's, there's nothing. There's no, there's no, um, no A-Rod, um, uh, material at all. He wrote not a word. It was a massive case of writer's block. And then John came back to me and said, yeah, that's crazy. What do you think? Would you want to write a story? And, and I said, of course. And so, because it had a lot of different elements and, and, um, 
and off I went. That's crazy. I and it, were you happy ultimately with, with how it turned out? I mean, it got a great response, and I I was the only reason I asked. That seems like a stupid question, but the only reason I ask is because of the whole. This is a guy you looked up to, and when you sat down to write about him, did you feel like you did it right? Like, did it feel right to you at the end? I mean, look, I'm. Uh, you know, we all have in our head what the story's going to look like, and it never ends up as good as what you think it is in your head because you have to actually write it. And so I'm never truly, quote-unquote, satisfied. I wish I could be, um, you know, with how it turns out. Um, there's always, you know, I just, you know, it's never as good as the song in your head. And, um, you know, that's, 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 that's my problem. Like I, I so, so there, it's not like I come, I, it's very difficult. Number one, for me to read anything I write for six months, seven months, eight months. So I, I haven't read the piece since I, since it ran because I'm, I'm so emotionally connected to it that I can't look at it clearly. For, and then, so there are times when I've written a piece, um, and and I've thought, oh, I think I, I think I, I think I got it. Uh, that, that was a good one. And then, like a year or two years or four years or something, I'll trip over and I'll think, God, that was awful. And then there are other pieces where I thought, oh, I, I just never, I, I never got it. I, I uh, oh well, you know, it's like I gave it everything, but it just didn't work. And then I, I'll stumble over three years later, and I'll, I'll think, wow, that wasn't that, that's not nearly as bad as I thought, or it actually worked far better than I thought. And so I, I'm the least qualified to judge in some ways how good uh, or bad a piece of mine is in the end for, for whatever reason. I can't really see it objectively. Um, so I can't tell you if I, if I was happy. I'm, I'm happy about it. I was happy that I was able to do it. I was happy that um, what I intended to do, which was to try and give Richard Kramer his size, which is his, which is his phrase, um, I wanted to do that. Um, I, I wanted to, uh, the biggest surprise for me was in, in some ways I knew how great Richard was, but I didn't know how great his wife, uh, who helped him with what it takes and the early stories was one, she's one of the legendary editors of new journalism. And, and really I didn't know that. And I think a lot of people didn't know that. So she was a discovery and, and, um, you know, and, and in some ways a, a, a sad one. Uh, so, because, you know, it hasn't gone well since. Um, but, um, so I think I moved the story a little bit forward. I, you know, I hope, um, uh, I, I don't know if you're asking me if I thought I did him honor, you know, me writing about him. I tried to make it clear. I made it clear, obviously. I mean, Richard blurbed one of my books and I put that in the piece and, you know, I, I think I made it clear that I was an admirer. So, um, you know, that everyone knew where I was coming from. Yeah. I mean, I have similar, similarly, you know, we do interviews all the time on this show and often they're people I admire and you really kind of psych yourself up for some of them to really want to do a great job. And inevitably, every time I hang up, I, the first thing I think is, oh, I should have asked that. So I guess that's just a natural. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. Welcome yeah. to our world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, you know, but that's, you know, we should, that's what we should be striving for. Right. I mean, we're, we're trying to be better than we are. I mean, I mean, I, I would always, I would always, if you're not, if you don't have some regret, if you're completely satisfied with what you do all the time, uh, that's when I believe you're in trouble. Occasionally I think I hang up and think I, I might've killed that one, but I'm never sure about it. I just kind of feel better sometimes about some than others, but uncertainty is your friend. It makes you work harder. The sportscasters are finishing up with SL price 
fourth time on the show, which is amazing. He is finally on Twitter. You can find him at by SL Price. He's got three tweets so far, which is three more than maybe I ever thought he was going to have. Two small things I wanted to figure out, uh, ask you before I let you go. So is Far Afield heart of the game? Is that the long-awaited Al Equipa book? No, Far Afield is it's one I, you I, those are my wrote. first three books. That was your first. Oh, I see what it means. Oh, okay. Pitching around Fidel. I read that Far kind Field, of wrongly. I didn't see the heart of the game. I didn't, and my Al Equipa book is, is still gestating. What are we thinking about that? Is that going to happen still? Or I'm up to 128,000 words. Wow, so that's a lot. Yeah, so <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm uh, I'm cooking along. It's it's happening. It's just uh, I'm I'm not finished with it yet. Do you know when? Do you have a time where you'd like to have it on shelves? Is this a 2015 thing? Uh, I think it's it's a fall 2015 is when they're looking it's at fall 2015. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm gonna if if I. Send it in when I send it in when I submit it. Uh, it may need work. It's a it's a strange it's a strange amalgam. So um, you know, I I don't know. We'll we'll just <laughs> we'll see what happens. It's still in the it's still in the oven. Got it. All right. Last thing. Uh, Wimbledon. I assume again this summer. Three, no, I don't no? think so. No Wimbledon. So what are you gonna no. do this summer? Anything fun? World Cup. Fun. No, no, no World Cup. No World Cup. No World Cup. No. Um, so I, no, know I'm gonna, I know you're I'm, not going to tell us about any articles. So, is there any? Events? Say it again. I said I know you're not going to tell us about any articles. You're one of the yeah. more. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm 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 casting about for my next piece. So we're still trying to figure out what I'm doing next. All right. Well. Yeah. Listen. Thank you very much for for stopping by. Uh, I hope uh, I don't bother you too much on the email. I try to. Not at all. Thank you so much. I appreciate in. you you having me on, and it's it's fun to talk about this stuff. All right. Thank you very much. All right, I want to thank S.L. Price for being on the podcast today. really appreciate that. Really one of the greatest sports writers who's ever been on the show, and I don't use any hyperbole. He's been in the Best American Sports Writing Series eight times. I think the only person that's been in more is Gary Smith, who we mentioned in the uh, interview is retiring, and that announcement came yesterday. But uh, we worked really hard to get that. And it's not that... Listen, S.L. Price is one of the kindest guys. He really is. But based on the way he works, he isn't available to talk to me just whenever I want him to. There's been other times where I would love to have had him on, uh, specifically right around the time that that A-Rod piece we talked about came out. But he was on vacation then, so it just didn't work out. But he's super kind and um, really one of the best. And if, if you've had a chance... Uh, it's in June of 2012. We did an interview with him that was just insanely great. And uh, if you want to have a chance to check that out. And it's about Twitter, too, which he's on now. But uh, book club business for today. Up, up, and away. The Kid, The Hawk, Rock, Vladdy, Pedro, LeGrand, Orange, Yuppie, The Crazy Business of Baseball, and The Ill-Fated but Unforgettable Montreal Expos by Jonah Carey, the author of the New York Times bestselling and former Sportscasters Book Club of the Month, the extra 2%. I'm surprised they don't put that on the book. You know, it says New York Times bestselling author of the extra 2%. I'm surprised it doesn't also say and Sportscasters Book of the Month. I'm surprised. But maybe future books will include that. But uh, I'm basically done with the book. I'm going to reach out to Jonah sometime today or tomorrow, see if we can't get him in on the pod next week, hopefully. Uh, 
see what's up with Jonah. He's been everywhere, impressive places, certainly a guy who's blown up and a guy who the coolest thing is every time you see him on an appearance, he just looks like he's so happy to be there. It's just so cool. Uh, And it's a great book. Also, I have a copy of Showtime to give away by Jeff Perlman. I'm not really sure how to do it. So if you have any ideas or maybe a compelling reason why I should just give it to you, uh, hit me up on Twitter at sports underscore casters or email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. All right. uh, We are going to take a break and come back with Chris Burke and talk about the NFL draft. Our next guest is from East Grand Rapids, Michigan, and is a graduate of the University of Michigan. He has worked as an NFL editor, blogger, and associate producer for FanHouse. Today, he lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he is a featured NFL blogger for SportsIllustrated.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our good buddy, Chris Burke. What's up, Chris? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's been, it's been a bit for some reason. Uh, the blog's blowing up, I think. <laughs> How are things going uh, with the uh, tag team of you and uh, Doug there? How's it been now that you guys have been together for a whole season and almost a whole off season now? Uh, I mean, I think it, from my vantage point, I think it went really well. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure I'd been doing it, doing the Audible's blog pretty much by myself for a couple of seasons. So I wasn't sure uh, how smoothly the transition was going to go to bringing on somebody else. But uh, I think we worked well together. Uh, I think we have different, uh, unique from each other writing styles and, uh, we got along well, which is probably the most important, um, in doing something like that. So uh, I think it went well. Now we've added in, uh, a couple guys, uh, the fansided.com is under the SI banner. We've added in a couple more guys from, from that site to help us kind of cover, news and notes type stuff. So uh, Audible continues to expand, which I, I think is a good thing for me in my uh, career at SI. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for a magazine that has had, is in the middle of a public, you know, I don't know, something with Time Warner and splitting them off mm-hmm. and all those kinds of things. And people are being cut, friends with, Friends of the show have lost their job recently at SI, yeah. yet you are in a position there where they're adding things and adding budget. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the uh, – I'm not privy to all the nuts and bolts of what's going on. And obviously, as you said, there have been some some cuts, which are always tough. I know Jim Trotter was one of them, a uh, guy that's been there for a long time. Uh, Joe Really good guy, great NFL writer. Yeah. Um, yeah, some. I mean, some very well-known – uh, journalists were let go, which is unfortunate, and it, it sucks. I mean, it's the reality of the business, unfortunately. I mean, uh, seems to happen more and more. But, yeah, like you said, we have – Audibles has been uh, sort of immune to it so far, and I kind of knock on wood saying that. I mean, I hope we continue doing that. But um, I think it's been uh, – that blog itself has probably been more successful, I think, than – uh, SI even really planned when it started, and so it's enabled them to add and, and try to branch out, and, and I think it's sort of a prototype for SI. You know, for whatever reason, 
uh, Sports Illustrated was kind of slow getting into the online game. You know, they're kind of playing catch up now to some of the other sites, and and I think this the Audible's blog has been a good step in the right direction. Switching gears a little bit uh, away from business because that's just boring. <laughs> Uh, but I, I was just curious to get a couple of opinions from you on that. But uh, I was reading something the other day about the phenomenon of mock drafts and how, you know, if you wanted, there could be a billion of them, essentially, and all billion of them would get clicks. Like, this is something people get obsessed with, and there's been even more and more now with the draft being pushed back, which I want to ask you about, too, because I hate it. I'm curious what you think. But... Uh, I know that for a long time, Dr. Z did the, the mock draft for SI in the magazine. And then Peter King took it yeah. over and has kind of publicly said a few times it's not something he really likes to do. You do one for your blog. Is it something you like to do or something you don't like to do? Like when you sit down, when, when, it, when, it, when it gets to that point in the day where it's like, all right, I got to get this mock draft done. Is that like, uh, all right, this is the part of the day I've been looking forward to? Or is this like, all right. Uh, I guess I have to do this now. Uh, I, I mean, I really like doing them, and I, I have one coming out in the mag too soon. Um, I'm not sure if it's in addition to Peter's mock draft or in place of Peter's mock draft, but I have one uh, running soon there too, so that will be pretty cool for me. Um, I mean, I like doing them. I think it's fun to do. I think it's a fun way to to drum up conversation with, you know, whether it's on Twitter or, uh, you know, talking radio interviews, talking to the guys like you doing podcasts, um, you know, I, I try to avoid the comments section normally, but certainly gem- generates plenty of comments online. Um, I, I mean, so I think it's fun from that perspective. For me, the other thing, that I do think it's a big benefit to do them because it kind of forces you to, go through, you know, be it at the mid-season or right when free agency starts or a week before the draft, sort of go through each team's uh, roster and depth chart and, and try to figure out, you know, where the holes are and what they might be looking for and sort of how the board might fall in their favor or work against them. So, I mean, you're never going to get a mock draft totally right. And even if you get a handful of things right in round one, it it's, kind of a stroke of luck so I think it's more just uh, a practice and like I said trying to f- figure out exactly where each team can improve and and going through and determining those needs I think it's just more for knowledge than it is for for accuracy so I like doing them I think there's a value in doing them uh, and certainly online as you said it people read them no matter how many we put out <laughs> coming back and clicking on them yeah, and, and this year, I think especially, because last year's draft, I mean, there's always going to be excitement and hype for the draft, but I mean, it was, you know, a lineman from the MAC was the first overall pick last year. You know, it wasn't yeah. the sexiest of drafts. This is the complete opposite. I mean, it's loaded with quarterbacks and wide receivers, and yeah, there's linemen, but there's linemen who come from a football family that includes, you know, an NFL Hall of Famer, and it just seems like it's... uh. It's a much sexier draft, for lack of a better term, than the last one, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really an interesting draft to look at because, you know, two years ago we knew going in that it was going to be Luck and RG3 right at the top. 
Uh, so you're already into pick three before you even really need to <laughs> start thinking about it. Um, and then uh, last year, like you said, I, I mean, I, the, it wasn't a, a draft where there were a ton of those elite prospects initially jumped off the page. I mean, we teams missed some of them, obviously. I mean, Keenan Allen was a third rounder and had a right. humongous year. So um, there were guys like that. But, yeah, it was um, Eric Fisher, number one, Luke Jokel. I mean, it was the offensive line heavy, and that's never quite as intriguing. Um, but I think part of why this year is so interesting is just because no one really has any idea at all. I mean, usually you can narrow it down at least at number one to a guy or two. Uh, and I think it's wide open for Houston. It's wide open for St. Louis. And, and so it's really hard to figure out what's going to happen at, you know, three, four, five, six, because really there are any number of options on the table at one and two. Are you getting the feeling a little bit more and more as we get closer that Houston isn't going to pass on Clowney? Uh, I mean, I think in general I've kind of had that feeling all along, and I sort of wavered from it when uh, – <laughs> I kind of regret wavering from it now, but I sort of wavered from it when uh, the Bortles hype went off the charts there. Um, there was a lot of talk about that Bortles to text Houston – connection. We might end up back there uh, by May 8th, but I think right now um, Clowney's kind of the leader in the clubhouse in terms of uh, being the option at number one, um, but again, you know, I think they could take a quarterback. I think offensive line's on the table, and certainly if the right trade offer comes their way, I, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if they uh, made a move down and picked up another pick or two. I have to ask you about Clowney in the sense that it seems like if you want to be critical of him, you're kind of looked at as someone who doesn't understand where he comes from or maybe you're harboring some kind of racism in you. But to me, the way he handled his last year at South Carolina is just such a turnoff to me. Like, I just don't. I just always feel like he's going to be the guy who's going to be out there making sure he's out there to collect the next check. Like, I, I just don't trust him. And if that makes me racist, I guess, if that's what people <laughs> want to accuse me of, I guess, fine. I, I, I don't think it's that. I hope it's not. I, I like to consider myself a new world man to some degree, to quote Rush. But, I mean, that just... I don't know, like, I guess I'm a hockey guy, you know, I grew up in a hockey family, and I know hockey players, I know hockey players have played at high levels, and I just, you know, there's a a guy that played with my brother this year at Yale that he could have left after the national championship game last year, and uh, went right to the Calgary Flames and played in the NHL, but he wanted to come back to Yale, he wanted to get his Yale degree, and he played the first seven games of the season with a wrist brace, where he basically couldn't shoot. And then, you know, right up until the last game, I mean, he's just sacrificing his body knowing that when the season ended, he's going to the NHL. And if he blocks a shot and breaks his ankle, well, he's going to have to wait a year for that payday or whatever. And it just, Mm -hmm. I just can't, I just can't fathom like 
maybe I'm over. I don't know. I, I've talked too much about it, but what do you think about? I, I'm sure you know where I'm coming from by now. I guess. Yeah, I Is, mean, am I, I being fair or unfair? First off, first off, I, I don't. I mean, I don't think there's any racism involved in criticisms of, of Clowney. Um, I mean, I think if there's any sort of hidden, you know, sort of those racial undertones to criticisms of any player that you might be talking about it with Teddy Bridgewater as in comparison to some other prospects. But I don't, even there, I think it's uh, probably an overblown discussion topic. I, I certainly don't think that's the reason behind any criticisms of, of Clowney. I mean, uh, the ones that you're mentioning, I, I mean, I think that is the worry with Clowney. You know, he, there were, I don't think he ever thought really about taking off last year and just waiting for the draft. Uh, you know, he had to get to that that third year out of high school before he could enter. So I, I don't think there was any thought on his part of actually doing that. But, um, you know, there certainly are scouts and, and NFL folks out there that think he, he played it a little softer this year, uh, trying not to get hurt. You know, his numbers may speak to that. Um, and it's tough because I think that's really – where you would be knocking Clowney. You know, you look at the amount of attention that he drew from opposing offensive lines and, you know, blocking schemes and uh, even game planning to go away from him on run plays for the majority of the game and rolling the quarterback to the other side of the field. I mean, I think there were a lot of factors that don't show up in the stats that speak to how talented Jadavian Clowney is. And when he's on his game, you know, he's as dominant a defensive player as we've seen come along in a long time. Even at the combine in his pro day, you watch him, and, you know, he's running a, a 4 six forty at six six two sixty. I mean, that's uh, he's basically a tight end playing defensive <laughs> defensive end. So you're talking about through-the-roof athleticism and, and the type of upside, especially in this class where, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly which guys uh, are – those upper echelon elite guys, you know, I think he certainly stands out, but um, the knock on him is the one you mentioned, you know, is the work ethic going to be there? How's he going to react to being the number one or number two or number three pick and getting the big contracts? Uh, what if he gets, you know, what if he, I don't know, dings up his knee in game three, is he going to be out for a play or is he going to sit out for four weeks because he just doesn't feel right? I mean, I think some of those are, going to be unanswered questions until we see it on the field and see how he responds to being in the NFL. But uh, from a talent standpoint, I mean, he's there. I think he's the number one. I think he, you know, is a number one or number two pick, depending on whether you want to go quarterback number one. Um, I think that's really the only factor that would bump him out of that top spot for me. I want to move on to other guys. I just want to make one other comparison. I watched every single uh, college football game that Adrian Peterson played and he broke his collarbone his junior year at Oklahoma and that could have easily been it for him he could have said you know there's no reason for me to to I've proven everything I can at Oklahoma there's already going to be questions I'm going to have to keep proving myself in the in the combine and post but he fought so hard to get back and to play against Boise State in that bowl game. And he went out with his last carry at Oklahoma being a 25-yard run right through 
six or seven Boise State defenders into the end zone in overtime. And it's just like that's the kind of guy I want to draft at number one. And the things that he did at Oklahoma cost him seven spots in the draft. I mean, there's no reason that he shouldn't have been the number one pick. He might retire one of the greatest players in the history of the National Football League. But because of the way he played and how hard he played, he was the number one pick or wasn't the number one pick. That's the guy I'd want to pick. And I don't know. I guess I'm I'm being a little bit unfair because I don't know. I haven't watched every play of Clowney. The things that you mentioned do make sense about extra attention and going away from him and things like that. But I don't know. Just something about it. I, I just don't trust him, I guess. I mean, I, there are going to be teams that think that way in this draft. There just are. Uh, you know, and it, it doesn't matter what the talent is. You're going to have teams that shy away from guys just because of those sort of intangible things, that perceived lack of effort, lack of hustle. You know, you don't want a guy who uh, – you don't want to draft a guy in top ten and end up, uh, you know, just <laughs> locally here, you know, a few minutes down the road from me, the Lions are not picking up the fifth-year option on Nick Fairley for that exact reason. They just haven't been able to get him to flip that switch on a regular basis. And uh, obviously when that happens, you're spending a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy invested in guys that you're counting on to be cornerstones of your franchise. And if you're not getting that effort all the time, it makes it really easy for those plans to fall through. So uh, there are going to be teams that look at Clowney and, and see, I don't necessarily want to see what they want to see, but uh They'll look at him being blocked out of three or four plays or coming to the sideline against a no-huddle offense as the lack of effort, and the teams that really are sold on Clowney are going to look at him and see what, you know, like I, what I was saying. I think, well, he didn't get to the ball in this play, but he drew three blockers, so the guy next to him made the play. You know, I, I think you're going to see uh, those distinctions made um, depending on where he goes, I think we'll we'll see the distinction between which teams really buy into what Clowney does on the field, and then which team doesn't think that he's all all there uh, in terms of the football effort. And if Houston passes on him at number one, or Houston trades out of that spot um, and lets someone else come up and and deal with the decision, I think that that's a pretty clear indication. From their standpoint, that that maybe they just don't trust him at that number one pick. So, I, I as I said, I would take him number one. I think the talent's through the roof, and I think you can. Uh, I think he'll be better. The effort will be better in NFL locker room, and uh, but certainly, I, it's not a unanimous uh, opinion. Well, I want to ask another interesting thing about this draft because this is the NFL, so it's always going to be about quarterbacks. And one thing I've noticed looking at the countless mock drafts is I can probably find at least one mock draft that has all of the mentioned quarterbacks being picked first. And I think I even recently seen a mock draft that didn't even have Manziel in the first round. It almost feels a little bit like when Alex Smith and Aaron Rodgers were this big choice for the 49ers. Which one were they going to take? And then Alex Smith dropped down. Is there one 
of the guys that you think is most likely to be closer to the top? And then is there one that you think is very likely to slide down? Or how do you view the, the four quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, it is really tough to figure because I think part of it is that you look at the, the draft order and this isn't that different from any normal year because obviously the teams towards the top have bigger, the picking towards the top have bigger issues and most of them have problems at quarterback. So this isn't too dissimilar from what we've seen in the past, but I think you get to it. that number eight spot for Minnesota for me is really kind of the, the edge of the cliff. You know, you get there, uh, there are, other than Atlanta, uh, in the top eight, I think you could justify a quarterback anywhere, and that includes St. Louis if they're not sold on, on Sam Bradford. So I think you have seven teams in the top eight that could look at a quarterback. And then after Minnesota, you really drop, I mean, you're getting in teams that have guys that they believe are franchise quarterbacks until, you know, maybe a wild card like a the Jets or Kansas City or something like that uh, looks at QB. So I think if their guys are still on the board at number nine, you might see uh, Bridgewater Bortles fall into round two. So it, it's tough to figure out because of that. But um, for me, I think you know I think the, the Bridgewater concerns are being overblown. I'd be surprised if he gets out of round one. I think Bortles could slide because he needs a year to develop. So if you're, uh, and he might not get that year depending on where he lines up, but I think he needs a year. So if you want to win now, if you look at yourself as a playoff team, potential playoff team, I don't know that you can make that pick. Um, and for me, I think the guy that's going, that will go into the draft with, on the steadiest footing is Johnny Manziel. I, I think he's uh, in play at number one. I think certainly... Jacksonville at three, Cleveland at four, Oakland at five, all will consider him uh, right up until they make their picks if they don't take him. And I'd be shocked if he drops too far because we're even hearing now, you know, Dallas, Philadelphia, some of these teams in the middle of round one might take a look at him uh, even to bring in as a backup for the first year just because of what you know you're getting in terms of uh, his creativity and his ability to win games. Yeah, actually, you kind of mentioned, I wanted to ask you about, too, this time of year, there's so many different reports, and you have to really be careful, because some of them could just be posturing, trying to make other teams think things, and it's all kinds of crazy strategy going on, but I was wondering if you believe the hype at all, with if you believe St. Louis, who has said time and time again that they are committed to Bradford, that was one, and the other one was the one that just came out a day or two ago that supposedly Dallas is willing to do anything they need to to draft uh, Manziel. Do you buy into either of those things? Uh, I mean, I think St. Louis is fairly committed to Bradford for this year. Um, he played pretty well last year at the start of the year until he got hurt. Uh, I mean, I think that they're hopeful that that was him turning the corner. You know, he's obviously coming back from a season-ending injury, um, his contract makes it tough to really uh, 100% get behind him right this second because, you know, you could cut him and save a ton of money and, and right. he's be the in last, better shape. He's the last of those huge first overall picks. The huge, right. huge deal. So, right? He's the last of those. Yeah. And that's the reason I think they would go a different direction is just because uh, of how much they still owe him and how much they could free up by getting rid of him. But, I think that they're still committed to him. Um, I said, I, 
At number two, you can make a case for them looking at quarterback. I don't think they will. Maybe at 13, if somebody falls, you know, Bridgewater falls and he's there at 13, they might take a second look. But um, I think St. Louis goes two different directions in round one other than quarterback. The Dallas one's interesting just because it's Dallas, and you really never know. <laughs> I mean, uh, and we were reminded again last year when they traded down and then took a center in round one, and, you know, it turned out to be a decent pick for them, but they're always tough to pinpoint <laughs> because of Jerry Jones, and, you know, you look at them and you try to figure out what they need from a football sense, but Jones sort of goes his own way and you know obviously drafting Johnny Manziel uh, on top of what he might bring as Romo's backup and then eventual replacement and, and I think that he does have some value there you're obviously going into some uh, other areas here Jerry Jones is making that pick and you're assuming he's doing so with at least uh, a piece of his mind thinking uh, how many jerseys am I going to sell in Texas of <laughs> County Manziel Cowboys uniforms? I mean, I, I think that there's other factors at play when you're talking about the Cowboys. So um, I wouldn't rule that one out. I don't know that they'd trade up for him. Uh, they, have, they have a bunch of needs, and they're a team that has been kind of on the borderline, not able to get over the top and get into the playoffs the last few years. I, I mean, I think that they have other needs. They should address those other needs. I don't think they should pick Johnny Manziel, but, again, you never know. It's Jerry Jones. You never know. You know, it's always interesting when you're drafting later in the draft. The, the focus can sometimes always be on the top picks and the top players, but there's always these guys that, for whatever reason, can – they don't quite get on the radar in the top and then they end up being picked by a playoff team and they're able to come in and make a previous playoff team even better. Is there a guy that you're looking at that can be picked somewhere between 25 and you know 32 that at the end of the year will be saying, man, that guy really should have been a top 10 pick? Uh, I mean, I think certainly the way this receiver class shakes out, um, and I mentioned Keenan Allen last year being a round three guy, and the Chargers would not have been in the playoffs without him. So I think that there are some guys like that that will be there. Marcus Lee, maybe. Uh, Marquis Lee, for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, Brandon Cooks maybe could drop into that area. Um, I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. will get down that far, but if he does, certainly he's a guy that fits that bill. So any of those players... Um, and then uh, other than that, I mean, you kind of look at, I think there'll be a bunch of cornerbacks in that range. Um, <clears throat> the two guys that are interesting to me, uh, Ryan Shazier, CJ Mosley are, you know, people have kind of started pegging them. I think in that green Bay, Philadelphia, Arizona, Miami, that 19 to 22 range, you know, those are guys that can step in and be, you know, I don't want to say that they'll be a Levante David because he's been so great or, you know, Kiko Alonso or anything, you know, guys that have stepped in and played really well, but I think they have that capability to be rookie of the year candidates. And certainly if you're talking about a team that was in the playoffs or on the verge of being in the playoffs and you add the best rookie performer on defense, that's a big boost. So I think that those are guys that'll be there, uh, near the end of round one, and there are defensive linemen, too. You know, Rashid Hagman, if he gets down that far. Um, I mean, I think there certainly are impact guys, especially on defense. That'll be back half of round one. 
Sportscasters here finishing up with our friend Chris Burke, who you can find on Twitter at Chris Burke underscore SI. And on the website, nfl.si.com, this is Audible's blog. He does with Doug Farrar and several others now. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, because it's just such a strange thing for people who grew up and lived where I do. UB has a guy that's going to be picked in the top 10. Like, that's just unfathomable to anyone who lives here. I mean, there can't be very many worse Division One football programs in the entire nation than UB. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like, they have to lie very often to maintain the minimum 15,000 attendance rule to stay D1. And yet here's this guy who, wow, I mean, he's going to be a very, very high pick, right? What can you tell me about Khalil Mack and and where you think he might fall and uh, the anomaly of a UB player being, uh, being drafted here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's... He's obviously an incredible talent. Um, I mean, and people that weren't familiar with him got a pretty quick introduction uh, when Buffalo played Ohio State, and he you know, he had two picks. He took one of the house. He sacked uh, Braxton Miller. I think he had a couple sacks that game. So uh, people were got that quick intro to him, and he had a great year. I mean, he's a really, really talented football player, and you try to figure out how uh, guys like that end up, you know, at a program that hasn't had a ton of success in it. I think they've had that was a bowl team this year. So I think it wasn't, they won one bowl game ever. It, I think they know, won the Motor I mean, City Bowl once. Yeah, so it happens um, <laughs> that you have these guys sort of slip through the cracks and then, uh, end up on uh, on on the NFL radar after playing at teams that, you know, that's not in Alabama, obviously, or in Ohio State or one of the perennial powers. So, um, and we saw it last year. You know, Central Michigan's a good MAC program, but certainly they're not a top 25 team on an annual basis. And you had Eric Fisher step up and be the number one pick there. And uh, I think Mac's got a chance to repeat that. And I think he's definitely in the conversation for Houston at number one. Um, because of those negatives on Clowney that we talked about, and also because, you know, Clowney really, his best fit is going to be as a 4-3 defensive end, and I think he can play other spots, but Mack is uh, kind of 4-3 end, 3-4 outside linebacker. He's kind of in that hybrid role, and that's, I don't want to say necessarily a better fit uh, for Houston, but in terms of what they have on their roster and what they run, I think, you know, kind of meshes a little uh, more naturally than Clowney does. So I think he's in the mix. I don't expect him to fall. I, I'd be shocked if he gets out of the top ten, and really I'd be surprised if he gets out of the top six. So uh, I think he's an early round one guy. And, uh, again, I mentioned Mosley Shazier as potential defensive rookie of the year. I think he'll be right there because of what he can do. Uh, as in, with his all-around game, you know, he's not a one-trick pony by any means. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, for a school like Buffalo, that's, I would assume it's a boost to have a guy like that go in the top ten. You should be able to use that to help you recruit moving forward. Oh, yeah, I'm sure seventeen thousand uh, crowds are right around the corner for them after that. 
<laughs> you made me think of this and NFL I know you did a lot of studying last year so maybe you can put the NFL part of it aside but where do you think Eric Fisher would be drafted this year um that's a good question I mean I, I think that the offensive linemen in this class are really good um so I don't know you know it's tough I think you could make the argument between Luke Jokel and and uh, Jake Matthews, for example, you know, both coming out of the same school, played together. Um, I think is an interesting head-to-head comparison. I think Greg Robinson is a phenomenal talent. I mean, I look at Fisher as a guy that was a little closer to um, maybe in that Matthews camp where he came into the NFL and you expected him to step in and be able to play. You know, he had he had upside, but he was fairly polished getting the NFL level. Um, I think he probably would have been in the top 10 conversation, but I think Greg Robinson would have been picked before him. Uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if either Jake Matthews or Taylor Lewan would have been picked before him. So um, it, it sort of speaks to what happened last year and why that was such a weird draft uh, because there wasn't, and I guess you could argue there wasn't this year, but there certainly wasn't last year that, uh, obvious candidate that jumped out at you to be the number one pick, and I, I would have been surprised if Fisher was in this class and wound up as the top offensive tackle off the board. Last thing, uh, you are in agreement with me, right? That May eighth is just a hideous date for this draft, right? <laughs> I mean, I think it's the pre-draft process gets more ridiculous every year I think and at some point we just run out of stuff to talk about and that's how we wind up with Manziel to the Cowboys rumors and you know right. picking apart how terrible Teddy Bridgewater is going to be in the NFL uh, I mean I, I think it's absurd uh, and now they're talking about maybe adding going to a four day draft which makes even less sense I mean at some point you just go too far with this um, I think it was better uh, at the end of April, I think that was a perfectly fine day. Gave you plenty of time to scout and everything, and then time after that for teams to turn around and get guys into mini camps. Um, yeah, I mean this is this is too late for me. I think they need to go back uh, to April. And I honestly, I'd be fine if they went back to the two-day format too. I, I think three days, having round one and then rounds two and three and then four through seven is. It's fine, but I, I was fine with a two-day format. I liked uh, one through rounds one through three on one day, and then the last four rounds the second day. So <laughs> I doubt they go back to two days, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's in May again in the future just because I'm sure they have some justification for it from a ratings, TV ratings, and a money perspective. Did you read the, the thing that potentially it was because there was some kind of rock hat show that – was I did see that, and I think that was part of why it ended up two weeks back instead of Maybe just one. moving a week or, right. you know, I, <laughs> which, I, again, I, I don't know. There's already been some talk that it's not going to be in New York next year, and I think that's probably the next thing uh, before Travel going to a four-day right. draft is that they take it to another spot and start rotating it. <laughs> Do you buy into Cuban at all, like, I know Cubans, he's out there and he puts up huge, crazy outlandish statements for the sake of publicity, but do you ever worry that they are extending themselves a little bit too far sometimes, that at some point there is going to be a little bit of exhaustion? 
I mean, because you only have to look back 100 years and say, what were the biggest sports in the United States? And, oh, they were horse racing, boxing, and baseball. And where are those sports now? Yeah, I mean, we certainly haven't gotten there. No, <laughs> we're, not even, we're not even close. People are sick of it. Right. So, I mean, we had an announcement uh, for the announcement for the schedule. Yeah, right, and yeah. people laid it up. People go nuts for it. So I, I don't foresee that coming anywhere in the near future, even if they go to a four-day draft and an 18-game schedule and expand the playoffs. I mean, I think everything that they've done and are considering doing is because uh, the hunger for NFL coverage and NFL events has just been so insatiable. Um, And some of that's built in just naturally because of the sport. You know, they're only playing, your team's playing one game a week. Uh, and it's September to January, and then there's a huge, you know, more than half the year, if you don't make the playoffs, you're not watching your team play. So I think it's just sort of natural uh, for fans to want more and to want to talk about their teams when they're not playing. So uh, and the NFL's been smart to take advantage of that. I think they'll continue to take advantage of that. I mean, yeah, there's some danger in overextending, um, but at the same time, there's really no doubt at this point that the NFL is uh, the big major sports moneymaker in this country. And for as long as they hold that title, I think they're going to continue pushing the boundaries, pushing the limits uh, and seeing what they can do. So I, I don't, you know, envision them dipping back to simpler times and <laughs> uh, playing less games on TV and, all those sorts of things. I think they'll just keep going and going until something doesn't work out. You know, for whatever reason, the ratings are terrible or fans don't show up, uh, but that event hasn't happened yet. So uh, I don't see any reason that they would stop. All right. If I keep you any longer, I'm going to have to probably pay you. So thank you so much for uh, <laughs> for this and all the time. I really appreciate it. Love having you on. Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, bud. All right, huge thank you to our two guests today, Chris Burke and S.L. Price. Lots of great draft stuff for you to check out there. Some really interesting writing, Sports Illustrated stuff. I really, really have to email Wertheim and get Wertheim back. It's a lot harder to get him now that he's the kind boss. Kind of the main man, yeah. You know, but he would, he'll come on. Right. I just have to ask him. Yes, you know? Yeah, it'd be weird if he asked us. Yeah, like, hey guys, really I got something to say. I gotta get on. <laughs> it'd be really weird. One of the best things about him being on this is breaking down the fourth wall. Sure, we often do this. Is uh, almost every time he says something, which he then asks me to take out after. <laughs> Has he actually had you take stuff out? Oh yeah, almost every time. Oh really? Yeah, because. I know there's stuff in the past that he's been was like, oh, I don't he got know if in I trouble should have said that for or, something. Right. Someone got mad at him. Poznanski got mad. Yeah, Poznanski. Yep. Uh, which was bu- bullshit because he was completely fair about his all his comments. all he said is he would have like scrapped everything or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that was fair. It. Sure. So whatever. But uh, we have to get worth on back on uh, next week. Speaking of getting back on, Jonah Carey is going to be on, and Don re- reminded me of a funny moment in sportscasters history yeah speaking of editing yeah <laughs> one time we had jonah carey on the podcast 
did an interview with them. Edited the show together. This is before we were doing it at my house when we were doing road games. Oh, was it? Old studio. Oh, okay. Which was ma- what made it all the more complicated. Right, because the computers were at somebody else's house. Right. So we edit the show together. We put it up. We go home. Little time goes by. And I'm getting messages from Jonah Carey, <laughs> <laughs> who is furious that his interview is not on the podcast. Instead, right. it's – I think it's the book club. The book club twice, twice. or something. Yep. And he is very insistent that it's corrected. Yeah. <laughs> because he gave us his time. His time is valuable. It was all fair. Yeah. But, like in hindsight now that that went over well and like I was just saying off the air, that's kind of how this came up. Like it's really cool that he, he comes on a lot. He seems to like like doing it because we almost blew it the first time he was on or the second time he was on. So uh, I was the most excited now in hindsight that it means – after it was over with, he was going back to listen. You know what's interesting was. is we've blown it three times, sort of, and we've made up for it each time. Like we blew it with Passin. Right we away. Had a scheduling thing with yeah. him. He got pissed. Like the second time he was on it. Yeah, it was it would have been his second time. Right. We made up. Passin is a huge part of the show again. Yeah. Which is great because he's our first guy. We always want him to be a part of the show. Right. Then we screwed up with Chris Ballard, another kind of mistake, misunder- total misunderstanding. I did the right thing. I emailed him just to apologize, waited a couple of months, then asked him to come back. He came back. As opposed to apologizing and saying, I'm really sorry, but will you come on? Didn't we mess up with one of the SI or probably ESPN because we have a pretty good relationship with SI well, we PR once, guys? We once sort of, yeah, we did get in trouble. Interview- we were interviewing Richard Deitch and – we were having trouble getting the. That's PR. right. So we just talked about skipping the PR guy, and he right. he was a listener. Yeah. So hi, if he's still listening. Yeah. So which was, is awesome too that they listen. Yeah. So there was that. <laughs> there was that. Um, we are friendly though. Yeah, we are, and we do have a great track record of people coming on. Yeah. And coming back on. Like I'm sure it's like in the eighty percent. We have very few one and dones. Right, and, and I shouldn't it, say this necessarily, but if if somebody isn't back on, a lot of times it's because we don't our want choice to do it. Right, for whatever reason, it's right. not necessarily their fault. Maybe it's just we didn't gel for some reason. Or but. you know, like there's a great example of a guy who wrote a really awesome piece on Grantland about the Bills. Uh huh. And that was a great reason to have him on, but he he's not a regular writer for Grantland. Oh sure, right. So I mean, I don't know. I'd have him on any time that he wrote something we'd want to talk about. Right. I I don't even think he's per se a full time sports writer. Okay. So, you know, but um, but I was saying we have a great track record of people coming out once and coming again. The Probably the only exception of that is Michael Farber, who I mentioned before, who came on. I thought it was a great, great interview. I reached out to have him on again, and he made it very clear he would never be available again. Whoa, really? <laughs> yeah. And I thought that the, and it went well. I mean, I guess I was wrong. He was polite about it. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, he wasn't mean, but he was just saying, yeah, I'm never doing that again. So <laughs> lose my number, sort of. <laughs> okay. And I was like, all right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, you can uh, find all of our past episodes, including the one with Michael Farber, on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. You can email us, sportscasters at gmail.com. All right. Well, nice thing for me this week, uh, it's more of a story than anything. 
I'm going to mess up her age, but I have a niece. Uh, 31. N- not quite. No. I believe she she was either born in – I was just going through old pictures. She was either born in 2006 or her first birthday was in 2006. She's either eight or nine is, or seven or, or to be seven or to be eight in December when her birthday is. Anyway, nice. yeah, it's crazy that yeah. she's getting that big already. Uh, I have my own little one now. She's a little over two. It uh, still amazes me every day with cute little things she says. I was just thinking the other day, like, Gwenny does other things cool now. Like, she, I can play board games with her and stuff, and not just, like, Candyland and Hi-Ho Cheerio and that stuff. So she does that type of cool thing. But I thought, maybe she's past the age where she does super cute things. But my brother was over Friday night, and he told me a story, and it was pretty good. So I'm going to just tell that story. Apparently, uh, my brother and my niece were watching wrestling. And my brother said he was just kind of watching to gauge her reaction and stuff like to see how she would deal with it because she's young still, whatever. And in the match was some new guy, newish, I don't know, I'm not a big wrestling guy, guy that was wrestling Kane. And apparently Kane beat the hell out of this guy and they were taking him off on a stretcher. And as they were taking him off on a stretcher, Kane went back, got the guy off the stretcher, and kept beating him I up. I did see that. Did you? Daniel Bryan, okay. the current champion, that's right. is who we're talking about. Okay, yeah, I'm not familiar with him, but yeah, that's right. Apparently, Gwen sees this and starts going, why isn't someone calling the police? <laughs> They're beating this guy up, so that made me crack up for whatever reason. Greg <laughs> had to explain wrestling to her a little bit, and I guess before she went to bed, she goes, okay, Dad you got to keep watching this because I'm going to want to know what happened tomorrow. <laughs> so that was my uh, Gwani story, and uh, she can still be cute, I guess, even at seven or eight years old. I have a sort of similar wrestling story. Um, I don't know if I told this on the podcast or not before, maybe, but uh, I've said many times how much I love WrestleMania 3. three yep. One of the reasons I love WrestleMania 3 is I was a huge Ricky Steamboat fan. Okay, and uh, one of the main matches on the card, which is still considered one of the greatest matches in the history of the business, was the Intercontinental match uh, between Steamboat and Savage, which was billed around Savage crushing the larynx of Steamboat with the ring belt. Okay, and uh, Jesse Ventura had a great line when Gorilla Monsoon said that Steamboat had a lot of heart to come back. He said, I don't know about that gorilla. I think it's more that he has a lot of throat, which is just really funny. But uh, <laughs> but um, uh, the, the culmination of the feud was at WrestleMania three, and it ended with Ricky Steamboat becoming the new Intercontinental Champion, okay. which was a huge moment in my life at the time. I was very young, six, going on seven. Right. You had the Ricky Steamboat poster in your attic, I believe. Yeah, I had everything. Yeah, Steamboat. Yeah. I mean, this is my guy. So that was in March or April. And then in June... The WW, then WWF had a paper uh, a television taping at the Odd, and my father and I went. And at some point during the card, Ricky Steamboat defended his recently won Intercontinental Championship against the Honky Tonk Man. Okay, he lost the belt to the Honky Tonk Man In a- via Honky Tonk cheating. Did he hit him with a guitar. No, he just had his feet on the ropes oh the ref didn't see it that old gag and i cried about it (laughs) (laughs) and not for a minute but several several (laughs) 
several minutes. That had to be a proud moment for your dad. Yeah, it was the most devastating <laughs> moment in my life at that point. And at I, the event you're going to live, he yeah, loses his belt. Yep, and uh, I was crying to the point that, like, I had a grandfather die in February of 86. Okay. This was far more... Devastating? Devastating. Cause I, probably because I didn't understand death at that point. Uh-huh. But I just couldn't understand why Steamboat, who had had his larynx crushed and couldn't breathe, but had the heart or throat to get back and to win on the greatest day of my life where I had friends over for pizza and wrestling and how he could lose the belt to a cheater like the honky-tonk man. That is devastating. So my dad took me for soda and snacks and bought me a t-shirt or something and a program and sat me down on the car ride home and tried to explain that Steamboat's okay. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, he'll be all right. But uh, anyway, one last thing for me, just a couple of quick, uh, quick things. I wanted to congratulate Artie Lang, who uh, was a guest on this show. Uh, Artie was in the hospital recently. I don't know if you know. I did not. Due to uh, diabe- going into diabetic shock shortly after a performance in Detroit. Okay. It's no real secret that he's a fat bastard right. and basically ate himself into diabetes. He was told he might have a form of diabetes and his course of action of dealing with it was ignoring it. And uh, his blood sugar level was in near 500, I believe. Wow. So he almost died of that. He was away from his show for a while, then came back. Um, did a show on Thursday and Friday, I think, and then last night announced it. it was the end of the Artie Lang show. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm fake Twitter friends with one of the staff members. Fake Twitter? Well, I mean, we're on Twitter and we chat to each other. Oh, okay, I mean, okay. So you're, you're not like tight as well. Fake you're friends. Right, right, right. You know, we're like friends of Twitter. Okay. We converse. I thought you were saying you had like a, a an alternate Twitter account no, to talk to no, this person. No, I wouldn't deceive him. Uh, but there's that. And uh, also, um, you know, best of luck to those guys. And hopefully Artie Lang is healthy and he's going to stick around. He's only like 45 years old. Wow. You think about what he's gone through in his life. He looks much, much worse than yes. that. <laughs> so I always kind of fake joke that I'm probably not going to see a 90th birthday. You know, that I'm probably a bit older than my actual age. Like, my physical age is probably <laughs> right, a bit past that. But uh, he blows me out of the water. I mean, his actual age is probably close to 70 at this point. Yeah, he looks like a sweaty mess wherever he is. So I wanted to mention that. And I also wanted to mention a good friend of ours, um, our friend Matt Billiter, who we played as. He's, got a, he's a renaissance man of the... Was it 21st century? Right now? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. He's a renaissance man of the 21st century. He, he, he's got a great job and he plays in bands and he goes to concerts and travels the world. And he now has a sports blog, which would be of interest specifically to fans of Pittsburgh sports. Oh, I didn't realize that was I, – I always read his Facebook posts. I didn't realize he had a blog. Yeah, now. so I wanted to give a plug to thegamerealized.com which is our friend Matt's blog, and I'll tweet that. Hmm. So I wanted to mention that. Congratulations to Matt, and please check out the blog. 
And then I wanted to mention one last thing. So it's three small things for my last thing, which turned into four because I told the wrestling story. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking about segments, and I was thinking about if we had potentially run our course with uh, greatest of all time. Yeah, we, we kind of need the, uh, at least I do, we, the themed ones. That that kind of helps. So we've done things like lists, and in that spot we've done we've done all kinds of different things. So thinking of some other ideas, and I thought about this idea of maybe doing a segment where we reveal opinions of our own that aren't commonly shared by others. Right? Gotcha. So the segment would be like three opinions that are mine that most people disagree with. Okay. See where I'm going there? Sure. So I tweeted a few the other day. And um, so I want to I wanna tell you about – and I got a response right away. So I was thinking that, hey, maybe this, this could work maybe to some degree because you know, right away people are responding to it. Okay. You know what I mean? Like maybe this is something we could put these on after the show and people would be interested in them. But uh, the first one was that Cindy Lauper is greater than Madonna. Hmm. Not probably very similar in the sense that they're 80s pop stars from New York City who are Italian and have weird hair. Yeah, probably also uh, as far as having the profession of singing are both kind of middle of the road singers. I would say, I don't think either of them are phenomenal. I would definitely say that in terms of singing talent, Cindy Lauper is way better. She's, yeah. I think a six or seven octave range singer. Is she really? Yeah. Way better than Madonna in terms of singing. Yeah. I've never thought Madonna was much She's, in terms of, I think Madonna was the, like if you have a pop star, that's just going to talk about like, she was a brand. You know what about I mean? She, shock. Value right. Too. Sure. She's maybe ahead of her time. Right. My second one was that George Papard steals the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's a classic movie, but mostly remembered for the performance by Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Hepburn yeah. And then the third one was that 10 is greater than Nevermind. Okay. Which, I mean, you're not going to argue with me about that one. No. So then I had a guy who responded to that, and he, he was kind of funny. He wrote, no, not going to have that fight, and absolutely. So... No, Cindy Lauper is not better than Madonna. Okay. I'm not going to fight with you about George Papard, which I'm not sure if that meant like maybe he just doesn't have a strong enough opinion. Yeah. 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 Or, or what? And then he obviously is 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 that too. And then I, it sounds like, "All right, let me let me throw three more out there." So I said that better than Ezra is the most underrated band of the 90s. Uh the Down Easter Alexa is Billy Joel's best song. Were the Counting Crows underrated enough? They were, they were the other one I was thinking of. Okay. Because I've actually had a renewed appreciation for the Counting Crows recently. I, I, think he's, I think he's a poet. I think they became a little bit popular recently, and people probably know him better for like their covers of uh, well, Big I, Yellow Taxi I think and Mr. His, Jones. And... his stardom and kind of how he was viewed as like a whiny cartoon yeah, kind he, of affected people taking he, them serious. And he dated, what, the, two-thirds of the cast of Friends, so it might have made him bigger than... He, than the band ideally like i think they're they're meant to be like a small band like they're not a arena band type thing and then the last one i threw out was that jackie kennedy is hotter than marilyn monroe 
Oh, you probably got some stuff about that. Nobody responded, but... Not that one? Not that one, but I sent it like 3 in the morning, too. So I, was, <laughs> I was just like laying off like, maybe I'll throw some more. I like this. See, that my problem was, my first thought was something along the lines of, I'm not a fan of Derek Jeter's. I, I think he comes across, but I'm not sure if that would even be... Because I think Yankee like and dislike is 50-50, so I'm not even sure that that's that bold a thing to say. I just think he's a little bit showy for a guy that's supposed to be like a workman. I'm not, this has nothing to do with his ability level. Like, I think he's a great player, but like, I'm not a fan of the, I think the ho hum, I'm just a hardworking guy thing is kind of an act. And like, so I never really liked him on a, on a character level. Well, maybe we can have some fun with this. So maybe maybe we'll try it next week. But uh, if you have any opinions of your own that, you don't think are held by the majority. And don't just send ridiculous stuff like the 98 bills are better than the 82 bills. <laughs> well, no, that might be true. Oh. Then then the 89 bills or something. Like just don't send like ridiculous stuff. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, you can email them to us at sportscasters at gmail.com or shoot us on Twitter at sports underscore casters.